Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. says with a loud voice, and in the Greek, my favorite word, to tell us die. And it is finished, right? And we, we know that uh, that word was used for so many different uh, things in that time when, when work was completed. They would uh, say to telestai, and, and when someone would uh, pay off a debt, when they would uh, pay off that final payment, the, uh, the debt collector, the one that they owed to, would write across the bottom of that debt uh, to telestai, and it is finished, paid in full. And we have so much uh, to be thankful for. Hope you had a, a wonderful uh, Thanksgiving. It's almost December. Can you believe it? I, I don't know how uh, the year has already gone by. It'll be Christmas before you know it. You just kind of blink and we're in uh, that place. And, and so uh, we want to we wanna today really just kind of refocus ourselves toward uh, this season that's coming up. There's a, a lot around us. There's a lot uh, that, that really can, can get our mind focused on uh, just the, the cultural view of Uh, of Christmas and just this thought of uh, the things that we need and we want. You know, it's funny, we we come together on Thanksgiving, we thank God for all the things that we have, and and then, you know, the next day we're out trying to get all the things that we don't have, right, that we somehow uh, believe will will make us happy and will satisfy. I used to just love going uh, on Black Friday, now you just kind of do it from your recliner online and it works out great, Uh, but... Uh, but I used to love going, and really just because I could get lots of sermon illustrations, right? Because people are crazy. Because, you know, we've bought into this thing that if we just have a little more, uh, if we just have that next thing, that in that we'll find satisfaction and we'll find fulfillment and that we'll find joy. And, and you know, I, I, as I think about Christmas, as I think about this season we're walking into, I want to invite you into a couple of things. Uh, one, uh, we're, we're going to start an Advent reading plan. Uh, you'll see a uh, an image on the screen, you'll see a QR code that you can uh, join that on uh, December 1st. This will start. So as we walk toward Christmas, if you uh, currently uh, read in the Bible plan uh, together with us, you understand what this is like, but we have the ability to uh, to kind of journey together toward Christmas. And so uh, you, can, you can shoot a, a picture of that if you're following along in the app. Uh, if you don't have the Cowie app, uh, connect to the guest Wi-Fi, get the Cowie app, you'll find sermon notes, you'll find lots of good information there, and in those sermon notes, you'll find a link uh, as well to this reading plan in the bulletin that's there, you'll find that link as well. But, but beginning December 1st through December 25th, uh, we can read uh, together and just be encouraged in the Word of God as we look toward uh, Christmas. So we're excited about that. We'll be launching, and by the way, some of you have killed it this year, you've been uh, going through our church-wide reading plan, and you are almost there, right? It's at the end of the tunnel, the entirety of Scripture uh, that you've read uh, this year, and so we uh, just rejoice in that. We look forward uh, to next year. We'll be, we'll be uh, releasing our, our 2024 reading plan in just the, the next couple of weeks. You'll see those available. You'll see opportunities to read it uh, together online uh, as well. Uh, it'll be a little lighter, uh, and so we'll, we'll end up with a five-day-a-week reading plan Uh, If you just read it along, you could do it in five minutes a day. So uh, we want to encourage you uh, to to just be uh, preparing for that, just to be, uh, allow this this coming year just to be a a year uh, that we engage in the Word in maybe a deeper way uh, than ever before. So uh, we're going to jump in this morning. I want you to fill in the blank, right? Uh, I am a, and just fill in the blank, right? Don't say it out loud. Uh, Don't ask your spouse to fill it out loud for you, right? They might. 
They might do that for you, but, but I am a blank person, right? You think about that? Maybe, maybe you'd say, hey, I'm a happy person. I'm a grumpy person. I'm a, you know, there's all kind of blanks that you could fill in. Uh, you know, some of the things that maybe we would, would like to be described as, as, as followers of Christ and things that I believe the Lord would uh, like us to be described as, I'm a joyful person, right? Maybe I'm a, I'm a thankful person. I'm a prayerful person. Those are things that, that we should long uh, to be described as, things that we'll see the scriptures would, would point us toward. But the reality is that many times, maybe those things don't describe us as well as they should. And while we probably wouldn't fill in this blank for ourselves, we, we probably wouldn't say, you know what, I'm a, a, an ungrateful person. We'd never want to fill in that blank. I'm an entitled person. Yeah, we don't, we don't like that word. And, and some of you that are younger generations, you've, you've maybe been described by that word by other people, and, and you've heard that, like this generation's entitled, and you, know, you hear those kind of things. And what we understand is that this is not a, a generational thing. If we're honest, if we're honest, all of us in our flesh, right, all of us battle this, this sense of, of entitlement, the sense of uh, this, this, this thought of being an entitled person in the way that we look, right? And we say, you know, I don't know about that, but, but we'll see as we walk in. Now, now this generation that, that's described that way, our, some of my generation and maybe the generation before me, we've, we've caused some of those things to be uh, highlighted maybe in a greater way in your generation. In some ways, we said, you know what? And I thank God that like my parents said, hey, I want my kids to, to have more than I did. You know, gr- growing up, poor without a lot of things. You know, my parents were, were sacrificial so that I could have things that they didn't have, you know, and I thank God for those things. And, and, and we think about that in, in, in a lot of ways. We think, hey, I want to make sure that my kids, like, like, you know, we can have that same mentality. And what could happen is that we, we spend a lot of time working and we spend a lot of time just trying to say yes to whatever kind of things that they might want or that, that they might need, sometimes because of just crazy schedules and crazy busyness, instead of maybe time or instead of some of those things, we've been able to provide things. And, and, and what this generation's seen is everything happens really quick. Like you can go on social media and, and just in a moment, uh, you know, you can, you can have access. We've got Google. We've got, you know, this generation doesn't, doesn't like to wait. Like we want what we want and we want it now. And I don't know if any of your kids uh, or if any of you have, have thought, I mean, I always look, I'm kind of the next gadget guy. I love technology, love things. I'm kind of like, man, you know, if I just had the new blank, right, the new MacBook, now, now there's like an M2 and an M3 and a Plus, and, they're, you know, and I'm thinking, man, if I had that, my computer would be a millisecond faster, and I would be so satisfied, right? The next iPhone, the next thing, and, and we, we get our eyes on those things, and, and this time of year, there's really this thought like, like of all those things bringing satisfaction, right? And you're kind of in the midst of a generation who's been raised up where everybody gets the trophy, right? Where, where there's no matter, it don't matter if you're in the last place, it, whatever it is, right? Everybody gets the trophy. Everybody wins. Everybody gets this. And we, and we create and feed some of this entitlement that we can see. Now, now it's not just the young people, right? Like, we think maybe it's just them, but, but here's what I understand. Like, I didn't think about this the other day when I was there, but I had to go to a, a doctor's appointment. I was taking somebody uh, to, a, to an appointment they had, and, uh, and I was waiting in the waiting room, and I went to this, uh, this office, this doctor's office, and, and I, I had my laptop. I had all my things because 
I mean, we, we can't waste any time in those kind of moments. And so I'm able to be productive. I'm able to keep working. And I open my laptop and I get in the waiting room of this doctor's office and you won't believe it. I know there's no Wi-Fi. <laughs> and I'm taken back in this moment because like I need Wi-Fi. And, and, and what kind of doctor's office today doesn't have Wi-Fi? And then it, it got even worse, right? Because... I mean, Verizon and I, we're, we're friends, and, and, you know, we pay them every month, and I've got a hotspot, and so I think, well, they haven't got Wi-Fi, but I'll just kick on my hotspot, and you'll never guess. Yeah, the can you hear me now guy we used to see, he never made it anywhere around here, right? And I, I'm honestly a little upset in that moment. I'm thinking, you, it's got to ruin my whole morning. Like, I had plans to do all these things. And I didn't have my Wi-Fi, my cell phone didn't work, all these things that are there. And, and here's the thing. When we don't get what we want when we need it, left unchecked, our tendency is to, is to feel entitled to things. Our tendency is to want more and more and more. And we can develop this attitude that says, I deserve it. We can develop this attitude that says, I'm entitled to it. And the reality is that as followers of Jesus Christ, when we fill in that blank, we should be the most grateful people in all the world. And there should be a difference, a marked difference in followers of Jesus Christ from the rest of this world in our attitude, in the, in, in the joy that we express, in, in the prayerful uh, way that we live our lives, and in the gratitude that we express in, in just a tangible way. And so this season, we want to lean in, right, to this gospel-driven Christmas, right? We want to lead into this thought that, that we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus, and, and, and we're going to understand that our gratitude, when it comes out of an overflow and it's gospel-driven, that, that what we see is a gratitude that, that honors Christ and it should mark every believer. We're going to look today in Luke chapter 17. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn there. Uh, we're going to walk through these scriptures pretty quickly, and we're going to look at some truths that I believe we're going to see uh, in this text that, that Jesus is going to give us. Now, the, the first part of this, we're going to pick up in verse 7. And, and before this, we see Jesus has been uh, giving some instructions to his disciples. And he's been telling them uh, things like uh, when, a, when a brother is in sin, that they're to rebuke that uh, brother. And, and, they, and if that brother repents, that they're to forgive him and that they're to extend this, uh, this forgiveness that is just beyond what they can imagine. And they're thinking, like, how often? And he's saying, like, like seven times if they do that. Like this picture of completion, not necessarily this one number, but, he, but he's calling them to this higher way of life, right? To this upside down kingdom. And the disciples have heard those kind of things, right? When they would gather at the Sermon on the Mount, when they would hear the teachings of Jesus and he, they would be challenged to live counterculture to this world. And these disciples, they're thinking, you know, uh, there's no way we can do that. And they're asking Jesus, they said, Jesus, you're gonna have to give us more faith if we're gonna be able to do this because this is crazy. And then there's a sense that they're thinking, like if I do this, if I grant forgiveness to these people, if I love my enemies, if I am good to those that, that use me, if I live this different way of life, this upside-down way of life that Jesus has described, this, this way of living in the kingdom, they're thinking, you know what? I should get some serious, serious, like, like attaboys for that. Like, like I get extra credit. Like, I, I should, like I'm going to have a, a better mansion in glory. Like there's a lot that I'm getting because I'm killing it, right? And honestly, we... We can think that way. Like we're, we're thinking, hey, I did this. I served this morning. I did this. We're thinking, hey, this is, this is where we're at. So Jesus then begins to teach them. He says this in verse 7. Which of you, 
having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, when he is coming from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat. But will he not say to him, prepare for me something to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward, you may eat and drink. He does not thank the, thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all these things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Now, when we, when we read this, this would have meant a bunch to these disciples in that time in the language that's there, but uh, I see people that are, are, are in the real estate business in here. Maybe a, an example that we could think of is, is that you've showed this home and you've, you've sold this home and somebody buys this home and maybe I purchased this home uh, and, and you've been helping in all those directions and so then it comes move-in day and I back my little car up and man, we, we've got our U-Haul over there and we're gonna unload all this stuff and we're excited uh, about all the, 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 the new that's gonna be there and all of a sudden the realtor kind of backs in beside us begins to unload their stuff. And they're like, what are you doing? They're like, moving in. And they're like, what? They're like, well, I helped you. I did all these things. I served all these things. And so I should, I should get to enjoy the house too, right? And you're like, no, 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 no. That's what you do. That's your, that's your job. That's your duty. That's the way that you should live. And so these disciples, they've been thinking like Jesus has called them to this highway of living. And they're thinking, man, I should get way, way more things because of this. And Jesus Let's them understand. He said, this is the normal life of a Jesus follower. And I'm convinced that what the normal life of a Jesus follower that Scripture would call us to, that Christians in our culture today look at that and we think it's some kind of super radical, crazy, out there Christianity. And what Jesus would say is this is your reasonable response. As we walk through Romans 12, remember this is the, the call that we might present our bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable. It says that is your reasonable worship. That is your, that is your reasonable response to what God has done for you. This is the normal life of a Jesus follower. And this chapter continues, right? And, and so we see this, this, uh, this encounter that Jesus has with 10 lepers, and it's going to teach us more as we walk through that. So this, this group of lepers, they are desperate. Uh, they are aware of their need in a greater way than we could imagine. Verse 11 says, while he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered the village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him. Now, now they were at a distance. Leviticus 13 would say that because of of the danger and the contagiousness of this terrible disease, that to protect uh, everyone else and to protect the spread of this disease, that they would be required uh, to remain at a distance. And as people w- would begin to get close, that these folks that had been isolated and people that had, had to, to leave their homes and their families and even go outside uh, of the walls of the city, that they had found this community together, right? This place, people that would have never connected, but in their brokenness and in their desperate need and in uh, just this common misery that they were in, that they find themselves there. And, and they're required as people would get close to warn them because you don't want to get this disease. And so as they would get close, the law would require them unclean, unclean, and unclean. They would, they would have to declare their depravity. They would have to declare the mess that they were in, the disease that were there, that they were hurting physically. And I can imagine the, the, the emotional pain that they would experience, the 
You know, I, I love nothing more than, than coming home and, and my kids running up to give me a hug and, and to welcome me in the door, or my wife coming up and, and, and experiencing that. And these people had been separated from those things. They were in that kind of place and in their brokenness and in their desperation, they cry out. And what we read in verse 13 is that they raise their voices and say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, these men... They had obviously heard of the miracles that Jesus had done. And, and maybe they knew that he was traveling to Jerusalem. Maybe they knew that, that he was coming their way and that they placed themselves just in the right place because there was hope in Christ. They, they knew that if Jesus just, just would have mercy on them, that he was able to grant them healing, that he was able to give them exactly what they need. And here's their chance. And so they call out for mercy. Right? As they come place, maybe they say unclean first. And then when Jesus looks at them and they would cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And what we see, Jesus responds to their desperation. Brian Chapel says this. He says, God's not moved by the deeds that we do. He is moved by the desperation that we own. He is moved by the desperation that we own. And so Jesus sees them. And then when Jesus would see people, he would see them in their condition. And the scripture would tell us that he would, he would be moved, right? That he would see people in their brokenness and in their need. And he would be moved with compassion for them. And Jesus sees them and he says to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now they had to go and and. and uh, allow the priest to declare uh, them to be clean. A leper would have to do that before they could go back into uh, the normalness of society. And so Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priest. I understand he's told them to go before they have been cleansed. He didn't clean them in that moment and say, now you're healed. Go uh, show yourself to the priest. Other places we would see Jesus touch a leper. This time he says, go and show yourself to the priest. And as they were going, now, can you think about this moment? These 10 lepers right there. I imagine there was probably some discussion at the beginning. I always like to think about what it would be like to be in that moment. And these lepers, that, uh, that their skin is literally rotting off and the pain and the, they could be missing toes and fingers and their face and just the, the depth of, of the, the effects of the disease on their life. And I can imagine as they looked at one another and they looked at their condition. Maybe one of them said, you know, we don't have anything in the world to lose. He's Jesus. We've heard of the way that he could heal. We've, we've heard that, he, that he's called the lame to walk and he's called the blind to, to see. Maybe he could touch us. Let, what do we have to lose? And so these, these lepers, they go and the Bible says as they are going that they're cleansed. Now, I don't know if it happened all at once. I don't know if, if, if maybe they're gradually walking and all of a sudden it gradually begins to go away. I don't know if maybe all of a sudden they just went from, uh, you know, they reached a certain point and all of a sudden they, they look over and maybe they see their friend and whose face has been just, just all messed up from this disease. And all of a sudden there's healing that's taking place there. But I want to tell you something. There would be some joy in that moment. And, and these lepers, right, we're, we're going to see only one of them returns and, and, and gives gratitude and gratefulness and thanksgiving to God, and it's easy for us to look at them and say, I can't believe the others didn't go back, right? But I can imagine in their mind, some of them are saying, man, I'm going to get to go see my family, and right now I'm healed, and while I'm healed, there's nothing, there's no way that I'm going to do anything else. I've got to get to the priest. I've got to get to them and allow them to see the healing, that, that I'm okay. And what we see is one of them, verse 15, 
Right? With faith, they take off. They're going. They're healed. One of them, when he saw that he had been healed, he turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And then the scripture tacks on an even greater uh, just picture of this. He said, and he was a Samaritan. Right? And so there's evidence probably. We, we've been walking through the book of John on Wednesday nights, and there's always this, this conflict between uh, the Pharisees and the religious people uh, and, and Jesus and, and, and his uh, uh, deity and, 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 and them just rejecting him. And so here, again, there's this kind of picture of, of here's this one foreigner, this one outcast, this one Samaritan. And it, and it appears that maybe these other nine are the religious people. Maybe the other nine were, were Jews. The scripture doesn't say that, but I believe the implication is there. And then we see this one outsider, this one uh, that, that was a part. This one is the one that goes back glorifying God with a loud voice. So he begins to, to rejoice and glorify God. And he fell on his face, verse 16, at his feet, giving thanks to him. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? He said, where's the rest of them? Where are the others that should be so grateful? Where are the nine? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, what we understand about this in the literal translation, the scripture would say, your faith has saved you. Warren Wiersbe says this about this passage. He says, by coming to Jesus, the man received something greater than physical healing. He was also saved from his sins. This was the same words that Jesus would, would, would speak to the repentant woman who anointed his feet in Luke chapter 7. This Samaritan's nine friends, right, they were cleansed and, and they went and declared clean by the priest, right? They had gone and, and they went in that way. But I want you to understand that the one who fell in worship and the one who recognized Jesus and, and fell on his face, the one who returned to give thanks, he was declared saved by the Son of God. And he experienced eternal life, right? And, and here's the thing. There should have been more people there. Where are they? Where are the ones? Jesus had something more to give them. Where are the ones? Where are the ones who will worship? Where are the ones who will respond to his mercy? And we can learn some stuff in this passage, right? There's some core truths that we can see. And then we're going to be able to see how our tendency is to go a different way and how there is hope in the gospel, right? The first thing we can see in this and in the first verses that we read is that Jesus desires that his followers... He desires his followers to respond to his authority with humility. Right? These, these in the beginning, right, the believer, right, is to be humble in service to the Lord. No matter what we do for Christ, no matter what we do, it is our duty to do it. We, we are not entitled to anything. We've been, we've been blessed with everything. But Jesus wants us to understand, like, like our good works uh, the things that we're doing, they're not getting us some kind of uh, extra credit. They're, they're not in this kind of place that says, you know, when we do them, especially with that motive, right? There is no uh, glory in any of that. And, and when, we, when we walk in, in, in God's will for our life, even as we're transformed, 
to look more and more like him. We don't uh, deserve the credit for that. We understand that we're doing that by the power of the Holy Spirit that's working in our lives. And so we're not working for, for bonus points. We're working for the master, the one who laid his life down for us. You know, I got something in the mail uh, just a few weeks ago, and it said, congratulations, you've been selected for jury duty. And I rejoiced on the inside. See, there's a reason, like, like it's called duty, right? And, and we live in a place where uh, if, if, if Sheriff Holbrook arrests me, that I am entitled uh, to a trial by jury, right? And because of the, the blessing of that and because of that uh, gift that I would have, I also have some responsibility. And so I have a duty to go and serve uh, in that way. And when we see people serving what is normal Christian living, we think of it as radical, and we look at them, we say they would go, they would, they would pack up their students that will not go uh, to, to spring break at the beach so that they can go serve in Honduras. Their students that would, instead of doing that, why would they go do that? I can't understand, man. They must be like really like Jesus freak kind of people. They must be way out there. You know, I saw Isaiah Roots uh, back this morning, and he's been uh, gone for, for months in, in, a, in a discipleship training and then on a, a, a mission trip for months. And, and he's, man, we look at that and we say, somebody would give up their, uh, this part of their life for that? Well, they must be, you know, I don't know. We think of that as, as something out of the ordinary. But what Jesus is wanting us to understand is this is, when we read the scripture, this is minimal, right, in response to uh, his glory. It is not radical Christianity. It is, it is just our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ, people that are willing to invest their time, their treasures, their talents in response to his mercy, in response to his grace. Kent Hughes says this, such life is our duty. This life, extraordinary as it may be, is ordinary Christianity. See, Jesus desires his followers to respond to his authority with humility. We recognize his greatness. And the second thing I want you to see is he desires his followers to respond to grace with gratitude to respond to all that he has done for us, right? We understand that everything we have is a gift of grace. James 1.17 would remind us that all things, right, that every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And, and that verse would say that in whom there's no variation or shifting or changing, that, that he is the same, that our great God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he does not change, that he is a, a theological term for it is that he is immutable, that he does not change. And we can understand that, that, that he has a will for us in Christ as we walk through Romans 12, we looked at verse 2, and we said that, that we would be, uh, not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't let this world press you into its mold, not even at Christmas time, not even this time of year. Don't let the world press you into its mold, but be transformed, right? Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is the good and perfect, acceptable will of God. What is the will of God? We said, hey, it's at 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification, that you would look more and more like Jesus. You want to know another place? Another place that God just has revealed, like you're wondering what God's will is for you this season? You wonder what God's will is for you in your life today? Here, read this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Scripture says this. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. Three commands. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus, right? This is God's will for you. Joyful. I am what kind of person? This is what God's will is. When you fill in that blank, 
God's will for you is to be a joyful person, to be a prayerful person, to be a thankful person in response to his grace and his mercy. See, these are marks of the life of a Jesus follower. Continued joy, continued prayer, continued thanksgiving. And here's the the thing, we know it, right? We read these things, we hear these things. If we're honest, it's tough. Like I find myself in a doctor's office aggravated because there ain't no Wi-Fi. You know, like how, like it's hard to flesh this out every day because what we know is that, that gratitude is not our natural attitude. It's not what we have on our own. Gratitude is not what comes out uh, automatically. Uh, what we would read in, in Romans chapter 1 when we, uh, we would see in Romans one twenty one, Paul's assessment says this, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. And they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened and we see it spiral into just this incredible sinful and, and just rebellion against God. Their foolish heart was darkened. Right? My dad used to tell me I love things that stick with you when you're growing up and we had hogs when I was growing up, and I've shared this with you before, but it's something I've never, ever forgotten. We'd have to go out and feed those hogs, and sometimes when I was little, like I'd jump in there, and I'd get on their back, and I'd ride them, and I'd wrestle them down, you know, and then I'd come in with stuff all over me, all kinds of stuff all over me, right? And then we would have these moments right there, but, but when we'd go feed those hogs, like we'd go down, and we'd call it slopping the hogs, right? And we'd go down there, and, and my dad would, would tell me, he'd say, now, don't be like these old hogs, right? Because we'd go down there, We'd pour that food in there, and them hogs would come over, and they'd get in, that, get in that trough, and they'd eat all that stuff, right? But they never looked up to see where it came from. He said, don't live your life like that, son. Don't, don't be like those old hogs, right, consuming everything and never looking up to see where it comes from. But so many times, we can get consumed with the gift. We can get consumed with the blessings, and we forget the one who is giving the blessings. We are dependent on God for everything. He is wholly good, and our response to his grace and his goodness and his mercy, our response to all that is gratitude. Our response to that, this this default posture that we have of of our selfish nature and and this entitlement, we've got to battle against those things because we can get in the busyness of this world and we can somehow think that we deserve it. We can get this mindset, and, and we can miss what's right in front of us. Our eyes can just get blinded to what's there. You know, we, we had come home one night, and, and we had uh, brought our camper in, and uh, we, we were going to back it in at our house, and I'd parked uh, my little, little Civic that I had at that time down at the lower road uh, at, at where I backed the camper into, and I said, you know, I need to move that thing so I can get, uh, get in there. Well, it was, it was cold. It was kind of a cold time of year, and the, and the frost had already come across the, the windshield, and it was just completely covered, and so I, I say, you know what, I'm going to run and I'll just move this so I can back in. And if I pull it forward just enough, then I'll be able to kind of tuck the camper and, and back it on in. Real simple. So I hop in, crank it up. I, I roll down the driver window and I look and uh, everything looks clear. I roll down the passenger window and I lean over. Everything looks clear. I start pulling forward easy. I'm kind of going back and forth. And there's a place in our, our road that has a little, uh, a little place that, that we've kind of made a, another little, little place you can pull in. And there's a big oak tree right there, and y'all know what's happening. And so here, here I was, and I looked this way, and I looked that way, 
And I say, I just need a little more room, and I give it some gas. And, and like at five miles an hour, you wouldn't think it would do that much damage. But I just rammed in to that oak tree head on, right? And, and my view was clouded. My view was, was, was blinded to what was in front of us. And I'm afraid that it's the place that we can find ourselves. And so how do we cultivate this gratitude? What do we do to live different? I want to encourage you to do just a few things as we close. One is that we would preach the gospel to ourselves every day, that we would remind ourselves of God's mercy and his grace, of his provision for us in Christ and and who we are in him, that we would do that. The second thing is that we would just keep a gratitude journal, like, like just a list things that we're grateful for. There's something about just pausing for a second and just listing those things that we're grateful for because we can get blinded in the moment. Like I downloaded an app called the Gratitude Jar. It's the coolest thing. Like, like this app, I was sitting, we, we were, I was in a place that, that, and I was not wanting to be and I was, I was sitting there and I was negative about, about it and I was thinking about this message and I was kind of working on that and, and my mind was thinking, man, I need to be somewhere else. And so I downloaded this app and I'm sitting there, and I start listing all these things I'm grateful for. And then you can shake it. Like when you're having one of those days, you shake it, and it'll pop it up. And, and here the one that popped up, I, I put OBV, Jesus, right? Like obviously, like we're thankful for all these things. And it's like we need these reminders because we get clouded by the busyness, right? We don't see it. We need to count our blessings. I remember the song we used to sing, uh, is count your blessings, name them one by one. Then it, then it won't surprise you what the Lord has done, right? Just... All these things, we understand from science that gratitude and entitlement, they can't exist at the same time in our brain. Gratitude and anxiety, they can't exist at the same time. Gratitude, it's this worshipful posture to God. And what we see is that God, in his grace, has wired it not only to be something that brings him glory, but it's for our good. He's postured us in such a way that our mental health, our physical health, our emotional health, that everything changes. And so we've got to make gratitude part of our daily Rhythms, right? If your family's like we saw this uh, parent-child dedication last week and we had this moment, right? Gratitude needs to be part of our daily rhythms in our lives. Every time, right, when, when we gather as a family, we, we should declare what we are thankful for to our great God. Our prayers should be filled with gratitude. You know, we've heard of, of things like acts, right, where they kind of help us pray, like adoration, confession, uh, thanksgiving, supplication. We like to say uh, something just like maybe a little easier for the kids, and you'll see a link to, uh, to this in the, in the sermon notes as well. But we like to say, wow, I'm sorry, thank you, and, and help. And Grant and I for a season would have a, a little journal that we'd write those things in, and so we'd read a passage of Scripture. So maybe we had read this passage of Scripture in Luke 17, and we'd say, wow, and write it down, man, wow, God, you are great. God, at your command, the lepers were healed. God, there's nothing too big for you. You created all things, and you were over all things. And God, we're so grateful. And then the second piece, I'm sorry. Like, God, and then this is the pattern that we respond, right? We recognize God's greatness and our frailty and our weakness. We say, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry that so many times, like the nine, I focus on the blessing instead of praising the one who gives me the blessing. God, forgive me of those things. God, I'm sorry for those things. Thank you for the many blessings in my life. Most of all, God, for your grace and your mercy, for saving me, for forgiving me of my sin. And then, Lord, I need your help. Help me to live like that one. God, help me, Lord, in the power of your spirit not to be ungrateful. Lord, help me in the power of your spirit to be the one who will fall at your feet every day. Lord, and we'll thank you for the grace and mercy that you've extended to our life. Right? We, we, we create those rhythms. We find a place to serve, serving others. That's a way you cultivate gratitude, right? Serving, engaging in those kind of ways, focusing on others. 
Many of you had a, a blessing of delivering a, a gift card and a pie to someone last week to, to just share the love of Christ. Like we continue in those things because when this windshield's in front of us, it's clouded. Man, when we cultivate gratitude, it defrosts that so we can clearly see. We can see the, the things that we've been blessed with. We can open our eyes. So, so here's what happens. When we look at what we want compared to what we have, all right, so this is what the world does. We look at what we have compared to what we want, and we always are ungrateful. We always want more. We always find this need. We always do that, and we're never satisfied. And by the way, if you're not content with what you have, so like if you feel like that next technology, and I fall into this sometimes, if you feel like that next thing, if you feel like whatever it is that you're desiring in this moment, if you're not content with what you have, you're not going to be content with what you get. See, Paul said, I found a way, Philippians 4.11. He said, not that I speak of want. He said, but I found the secret of being content. I found a way to, to be content no matter what my circumstances are. Paul would tell us in, by the way, this is from prison, right? Paul would say in Philippians 3.8, he said, I consider everything as loss, rubbish, in light of the, of the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. He said, this is worth everything. He said, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish that I might gain Christ. And so what we see is when the gospel is the source of our gratitude, you look at what you have compared to what you deserve. And I'm going to tell you something. When we understand what we deserve, and we understand what we have been given, we understand that it is all grace and that it is all mercy and it is for all eternity. Because here's the truth. See, like this leper, we were desperate and we were in a condition that we could do nothing to relieve ourselves of, that we were sinners separated from a holy God, needed to be cleansed and to be made whole without hope and with nothing that we could do to clean ourselves. And God, in his mercy, he has saved us. Paul describes it this way in one of my favorite chapters in the scripture, Ephesians chapter two. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He's, he's reminding them of what Christ has done on their behalf. He said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too, all of us, here's what we understand, we all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But man, two greatest words maybe in all the scriptures we read next. But God, he said, this is who you were. This is the condition that you were in. Unclean, far from God, separated, but God, who was rich in mercy. Amen. Hallelujah to our great God because of his great love. With what? Not because we earned it, not because we did a bunch of works, not because of any of those things, but God, who was rich in mercy in light of his great love, for us. Look, this is the beauty of the gospel. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, while we were yet sinners, the scripture says, Christ died for us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he's raised us up with him. 
Glory to God. Listen, we, we, we don't do things for extra credit. We don't got all the credit because the all-sufficient merit of Christ has been credited to our account, sinful humanity. When we trust in the Savior, the righteousness of Christ has been given to us. And in light of his mercy and in light of his grace, we serve him with everything that we have because this is what the truth says. We've been made alive and we've been raised up together with him in heavenly places. You were dead. You know who you were. And if you've been born again into the family of God. I hope you never forget what it was like to be lost. I hope you never forget that I'll never forget those times that I was trying to find fulfillment in the things of this world, that I was trying to find satisfaction in things that this world promised. And I want you to understand that every time they came up empty, but God, who was rich in mercy because of his great love, he caused me to be born again into a, into a hope that is way beyond these moments. And if you are in Christ, you've been made alive. You are raised with Christ because of his great love. This is our God. And if you're here this morning and you've never experienced the grace of God, maybe you've heard the story, but you've never received the greatest gift. You've never responded in repentance and faith. I want you to know that God is not going to be uh, impressed by your works. You could do uh, all that you could do from now until you uh, leave this world, right? And he is never going to be impressed with any of those things. But I want to tell you something. When, when we understand that God ha has offered us the gift of salvation and we recognize our need. See, see, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say this. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those that understand their condition. These lepers, they looked and they knew their need. They understood that apart from a touch from the master, that they had no hope. And when we understand, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those that understand our condition. And then the next verse says, blessed are those that mourn, that are broken over it. And here's the thing, if you're here this morning and you've been trying to find satisfaction in all the things of this world, if you will recognize your need this morning as the Spirit of God speaks to our hearts, right? as we understand that we are sinners, that we are separated from God, that we are in desperate need of a Savior, that we are in desperate need of healing. And here's what you do. This is how God, this is the response that we have to a holy God. Just like those lepers, we cry out for mercy, right? We say, God, I'm broken and I'm in a mess and there's nothing, right, that I bring to the table. There's nothing that I can give. There's nothing that, that, that I can offer. There's nothing that I can do. But I believe that when you stretch your arms out on that cross, when you died on that cross, that it counted for me, that, that, that the all-sufficient merit, right, of the, the full uh, payment that, that was made on the cross of Calvary, when you look to the cross and you say, what, what Jesus did on that cross, it counted for me. And I believe and I trust in you. I repent of my sins and, and I do. The only thing that I can do, I cry out for mercy. And God responds in his grace because I want you to know this morning, he is mighty to save you, apart from Christ, we are way more worse off than we could ever imagine. But I want you to know that, that under the sound of my voice, that you are far more loved than you could ever dream. And if you respond to his sacrifice and his mercy and his grace, you respond like that leper, you fall at his feet. Have mercy on me. And as a result, the rest of our lives, Man, like that leper, we turn from anything else and we turn to him. And the response that we have for the rest of our lives is gratitude. The response that we have 
until we stand before him one day in glory. And then we forever will praise him, the sinless, spotless lamb of God that took our place. And because of that, we are grateful. We're a people. And if we'll live every day in light of that, if we'll abide in Christ, we'll live out of an overflow of that every day. And we can be a people who can fill in that blank. Man, I'm a joyful person. My circumstances are tough. Certain things that are going on. But man, I've got a God that has overcome this world. I know there's going to be trouble. I can be a, I can be a prayerful person. Because I understand that, man, I'm, I'm weak, but he's strong. So every part of my day, right, rejoice always. And in everything, you're having some joy. Pray without ceasing. This constant posture of prayer. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God for you. In Christ Jesus. Will you pray with me this morning? We're going to worship. Thank God for each of you being here this morning. And as we, as we go into a time of song, we have an opportunity to respond to the, the, the grace of God with, with gratitude. We do that by lifting our voice and singing with all that we have. I want you to understand you're not singing uh, to, to, to a band. You're singing to the, to the one true God, right? And you are worshiping him. You respond. Uh, we sing. Maybe that you need to pray. Maybe that you want to come and, and, and just kneel uh, at this stage, right? To kneel in, in this place that we've, we've set apart as a place where you can come and pray and where we can pray uh, together. Uh, if you have a need this morning, we, we know that our God is able And we come and and we present those needs uh, to him. Maybe you're here and you've never just responded to his mercy and been saved. Maybe you've been trying to check enough boxes and thinking that somehow if your good outweighs your bad, that everything's going to be all right. Listen, God is not impressed in any way with our works and the things. The Bible says that our righteousness is his filthy rags, right? But what he responds to is our desperation our brokenness. And if that's you, and I hope you'll respond this morning and say, God, I I don't bring anything. But Lord, I come just in need. I've been trying this thing my own way. And Lord, you know it ain't been working. Lord, I come. All I have to offer is, is surrender. Have mercy on me. I believe you died for me on that cross. Save me, change me. You can cry out for mercy this morning. And the scripture says that whoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That with a mouth we confess him as Lord, and with a heart we believe and trust him. If that's you this morning, I pray that you would come, that you would call on his name you would be born again into the family of God and he'll change you from the inside out. Give you his Holy Spirit to lead and to guide. Father, we thank you. God, we're unworthy of your mercy and grace. But Lord, we are grateful. Lord, help us to live in light of your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand in worship?